morning. Uh, we have uh, Darren Milley joining us and bringing the word to us. So yes, we can welcome him. So as you can see, Darren is, is known to, uh, to many here. Um, so he just retired from the Canadian Armed Forces, where he served as a chaplain and worked to see an evangelical ministry established at CFB Borden. Before that, he planted Manitic Community Church and has previously served a pa as a pastor in Barhaven. Uh, but most importantly, he's a neighbor returning to live with his wife and three kids on their small farm up the road in Carsonby. And he is also uh, now working uh, as a trucker and also as a chaplain to truckers. And so I invite uh, Darren to up this morning. So it is very, very good to be here with you this morning. <clears throat> I appreciate the whoop I got from back over there. That's extra points for that, for sure. Um, I, I got to say that as I begin to open God's Word with you this morning, um, that first of all, that Sally and I were together the whole time. I didn't move back with her. She was with me. Because that sounded kind of bad that I, le I, left, I left her. I didn't leave her. No, not at all. Uh, but I, I really want to say to start uh, this morning, uh, what, a, what an absolute love we have for this church. Um, and, and, I, and any of you who've ever heard me preach before know I'm a big baby and I cry a lot. <clears throat> and so I'll probably cry at some point during the sermon. So please don't be too uncomfortable by that. I'll try not to make it ugly. Um, but we love this place. Like the church that we planted in Manitick, uh, we planted with a huge amount of support from this place. And, and some of you know who you are in this room who poured into that. Um, and so uh, I remember back as we were moving towards that, um, back then Pastor Craig let me have the pulpit to come and and let us steal some of your families, which, wow, who would do that, right? So we're so thankful for this church um, and the ministry it's been. And I have to say, too, since we moved back in July, um, we've, we've been out a few times, and I am so blessed by the way your pastor brings the word in this place. Um, that's, someone do that. Like, honestly. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we have, we have been so encouraged coming and just hearing the word opened as faithfully as it has been. And so uh, when Dan uh, said, hey, can you bring the word when I'm gone? What a, what a privilege and blessing. So he also said I could preach for as long as I want, <laughs> which is great. So I hope you brought your lunch because we're going to be here for a while. I'm just kidding. We're, gonna, we're not going to be here that long. But, but one of the things, as, as you heard a little bit of, our, of my bio, one of the things people ask me a lot when they hear that I went from being a pastor to a police officer to a pastor to a pastor to a church planter to a military chaplain to a truck driver ministering to truck drivers as a chaplain, people usually say, what is, what's the link in all of that? Well, it's me and I can't hold the job down is the thing. <laughs> um, but the link in that is, and, and, and please hear this, the link is the brokenness of the people. Okay, We live in a world that is full of brokenness, right? Um, people are broken. People are hurting. People are struggling. People are suffering. And so all of the stuff that we've been involved with in ministry has had that as the link. Um, and so, and the thing is, if ever I found myself in a room where all the people were healthy, it would suddenly become unhealthy because I'm there, because I'm broken too. 
Right? And you may this morning be sitting there thinking, you know, I'm here in church and, and maybe people think that you have it all together because you're a Christian. But deep down inside, you know, there's a whole lot of broken stuff going on. And so one of the things that I love to do, I really, really love to do, is to bring the gospel truth that Jesus loves to meet broken people and bring healing into their lives. Right? Jesus doesn't, I love this of the gospel, Jesus doesn't say, get all your stuff sorted out. Figure it all out. When you have it all together, please come and then we can be, you know, you can be my disciple and we'll walk together. He says, come to me with your brokenness. Come to me in your brokenness. In fact, the, the, the key that links all of his disciples together is that we are, in fact, all broken. Uh, we are one beggar helping another beggar find bread. And that's what it's all about, right? And so the world needs to hear that from us. Uh, so I love the story, though. I love that, that if you go in this book, if you start in Genesis... Uh, and you skip all the way across to Revelation, you will see it's a story of God taking people from a really healthy beginning, right? Go back and read about the garden before sin. It was a beautiful, healthy, unbroken place. And then if you get over to the end of Revelation, you'll see he takes us to a place where it is a beautiful, healthy, unbroken place. But everything in between is the story of his redemptive work bringing us from the garden to the city. And so he's taking broken things and he's bringing them to a place of healing and of wholeness. And so I love the series that, that Dan is working through, the title, How, Do Disciples, or How Disciples Live. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is kind of two angles we're going to look at. One is a, a bit of a longer snapshot uh, into a man named Jacob. We're going to do a little bit of a walk with Jacob and see what God is doing in his life. And we'll see how God's dealing with this broken man named Jacob. Uh, and then we're going to do a real quick snapshot of uh, a fictitious character that Jesus introduces us to in Luke 15, who is referred to as the prodigal son. And so we're going to see a little bit about his life as well. But here's the point. If you had to put a title to this, you might say, how do disciples live? Well, disciples oftentimes uh, feel the need to wrestle a blessing out of God's hand because they don't trust that he just wants to bless them. Okay? Anybody ever been that person, right? We, we think somehow we have to force God's hand to bless us, and, and, and that's the only way he's going to pour out a blessing on us, is if we trick him into it, maybe. The other thing, though, disciples do is they learn, and please catch this, they learn to trust God's goodness, and they learn to let him bless them. Okay, and so that's kind of where we're going to move through this morning. So the Bible character we're going to look at the most, though, this morning is this guy named Jacob. And, and let me just start by saying, as I'm driving a truck, I have this incredible privilege of sitting all by myself for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And one of the things I get to do is plug this thing into my headphones and listen. And so as I was preparing for this message, I have sort of surfed through uh, audibly the book of Genesis and the story of the patriarchs over and over and over and over. And let me tell you what I've come to, come to realize from that is that the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were really messed up, right? Have you read the story? Have you read the book of Genesis? Like, these guys are seriously broken and messed up individuals. And if you're catching anything from this morning, realize this. God did not choose them because they had it all together. He did not pour his blessing upon them 
because they had it all figured out. They are so broken. There's a story through it all about people who are tricking each other and lying to each other and deceiving each other and manipulating each other and just on and on and on and on through those stories. You'll read that. But here's the point. God uses broken people. God uses people who get it wrong, who do it wrong, who make wrong choices again and again and again, and God uses them to pour out a blessing on the nations. And that's the story that we see from Genesis. God using broken people so that he can pour out his love on them and bless them so the blessing would spill over to the nations all around them. It's how he works consistently with the broken. So let me give you a bit of a history lesson on Jacob. Maybe you're new to church or maybe you forgot a bit about it. Let me just give you a snapshot for those of you that this is a refresher. There will be a quiz at the end, so please take notes. But here's the deal. Jacob is 22 generations removed from his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Adam, and 13 generations removed from the flood. He is the grandson of Abraham, the father of faith. He is the son of Isaac and Rebekah. He's the twin brother of Esau. Jacob was mama's boy. He was mama's favorite. He was dad's second favorite son. So if you take a notes, think about what that might do to you. He, he wrestled with his brother Esau even in the womb. And then when he realized that Esau was going to make it out first, he grabbed him by the ankle and tried to pull him back in. In the womb. So think about who this Jacob guy was. He then went on to deceive his brother at least twice that we know of, massively. One time he deceives him to get the birthright. The second time he deceives him to get the blessings of God on his life that eventually made him be the one through whom the promises of God would flow. It flowed out of deception. Okay, and as I'm thinking about these two brothers, I'm imagining that they're twins, same birthday, same day, right? There's got to have been days where Jacob switched gifts and stuff, right? Esau got socks, Jacob got a PS5, right? That's who he was. He was that guy, okay? Sometime just read those encounters. Read just how deceptive and manipulative Jacob actually was. He falls in love with Rachel, motivated by her good looks. I'll leave you to think about what that means about his motivations. But he ends up, instead of first married to Rachel, he ends up married to Leah, the father who is worse than Jacob, switches them on the wedding night, right? He then ends up with the two female servants as well, and the four women give him 12 sons, right? And this is the 12 sons that God then ends up pouring out his blessings upon Jacob, like his mother, plays favorites with his children too, and he favors Rachel's sons the most. No family conflicts to emerge out of that. Counselors are standing by in the back. Okay, but, but as I mentioned, his father-in-law is even worse. He's even a greater cheater than he is, and he manipulates Jacob out of 20 years of service. Okay, for his two wives, he served six years each, and then he ends up serving the remainder of the years just to try and get free to go off and be the person that God has called him to be, that his blessing would be poured out upon him. And yet, out of all of this, God's desire to pour out a blessing on the nations 
continues to be faithful and true and poured out through Jacob. And you can read in Genesis 28, verses 10 to 15, where God promises Jacob that he's going to bless him, he's going to make his nations multiply, and then he's going to use him to bless the whole earth for all of time. For through Jacob, through his oldest son, Judah, we can trace the lineage of Jesus, mother and father, right back to Jacob. And God, in fact, does bring the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to us through this guy who is Jacob. Please see the point again, though, this morning. The story of Jacob is a mess, but it's not ultimately about Jacob. It's not his story. It's actually God's story working through Jacob to bring redemption to the world. He works through broken people And that should give us encouragement this morning. That leaves a place at the table for me. It leaves a place for you, I'm sure, as well. So keeping with the history lesson, Jacob meets God again in Genesis 32. If you have your Bibles, turn there. That's where we're going to park for a while this morning. Genesis chapter 32. And let me give you a bit of the context of this encounter that takes place. Okay, it's so important. Jacob has just fled from his father-in-law. Under the cover of darkness, he's left with his wives and his children and his property. He is on the run. He's running towards the blessings of God, yes, but he's on the run. He's manipulated his way out of where he was on the way to where he thinks he should go. Can you, can you imagine the scene and can you see the pattern here? Jacob, who has been promised by would pour out this blessing on him that would bless the whole world instead of going to his father-in-law and saying, listen, Dad, i got to go. I've got to go back to the land that was promised to my grandfather that God would give to us as an inheritance. Instead of going to his father-in-law and saying, here's the promise of God, and I trust God, and you're going to have to deal with him if you don't, but I've got to go. Because Jacob was such a man of faith. No, Jacob sneaks away under the cover of darkness. This is our boy Jacob, right? He runs off and he tries to create uh, the solution in his own doing instead of trusting in the, the promises of God to be fulfilled. So he sneaks away. All right. And if this morning, again, if you find yourself maybe in league with Jacob thinking, yeah, maybe I do that too sometimes. Maybe instead of just trusting and camping on the promises of God, maybe you feel like you need to figure it out and sneak your way out as well. And if you find yourself standing next to Jacob this morning, you're standing next to me as well because I do the same thing. I try and find a way to create solutions myself instead of just trusting the Lord and and counting on Him to be able to bring to fulfillment what He's promised. Uh, But the calling, just in case you're taking notes, is here it is to... The calling of the disciple of God is to trust in the promises of God and rest in Him so that He will bring about the answer, right? He's not calling us to figure it out and find the solutions ourselves. That's what disciples do is they trust and they rest and they obey, okay? So back to the story already in progress, Genesis 32 starts with Jacob realizing that he is in this incredibly holy place, Okay, the Celtic monks would call it a thin space, where Jacob finds himself in Genesis 32 is in a place where the presence of God is palpable. He realizes what's going on here in this physical space where God's presence is very, very close. It's one of those places where, you know, if you close your eyes, you feel like you can sense the presence of God. 
That's what Jacob, that's where he is, right? That's where the promises of God would seem to be powerfully palpable. So here's the text from Genesis 32.1, beginning us through this passage. It says this, Jacob also went on his angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahanaim. And the word Mahanaim translates from the Hebrew into this word two camps, which here's the, here's the idea. Jacob realizes, I'm physically here in the campground, but God is here as well, even though we can't see him. He's present. So there's two camps actually going on at the same time. And so Jacob realizes that. Okay? My mind imagines the, the sort of the KOA Mahanaim, and there's like the God site over here. Right? Or maybe better, it's, it's the Wesleyan camp, right? And God's got his own cabin there. That's what Jacob sees. Okay? And then Jacob does what Jacob does, right? Instead of realizing that he is in this incredibly holy place in the presence of God, and he opens himself to whatever God would instead, what is he begins to plan his swindle of his brother. He plans, in the next verses, I won't read it to you this morning, but he plans to send this entourage to Esau with all of these animals and all of these gifts. And so sudden, somehow, he is going to manipulate his way to win favor with Esau. I think, But picture this. He's in this holy camp where the presence of God is palpable. And instead of saying, oh God, you're here and you're powerful and your promises are faithful and true, he's like, oh, I got a plan. And this is what I'll do, right? And so he begins to plan his, his scheme. So let me pick up the story, and we're going to walk through the whole thing, a few verses, beginning in Genesis 32, 22, and then I'll make a few comments, and we'll see if there's some stuff that we can take away from it this morning that relates to what is it that disciples do. Let me just pick it up in Genesis 32, 22, now that you have the context. It says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wretched, and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Verse 30, so Jacob called the place Peniel, literally the face of God saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So first, let's, let's give Jacob one point. Okay? He's not going to get many in this, in this competition, but let's give him one point, because he seems to realize that because he is in this incredibly holy, set-apart place, he needs to be alone with God. Okay, one point Jacob, right? He sends everyone away. And he sets himself up in a place where he might be able to hear from God one-on-one. That's a good thing to do. If you find yourself in a time and a place where it seems like God is close, get alone, get quiet. 
Solitude is what the, what the spiritual fathers would call it. Get quiet so you can hear from God. And then what happens? Well, it says the scriptures tell us that God shows up. God shows up in a powerful way. And the, and the text doesn't give us a whole lot of context and explanation of it, but somehow that is God who shows up and wrestles with Jacob. Now, theologians would say it's probably a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, that Jesus showed up and wrestled with Jacob that day. Now, I'm not going to unpack that. That's a whole other sermon. I'll leave that for Dan for another day. Unpack how that happened, what that means, all that good stuff. But here's the point. What it says from the text is it was God that showed up and wrestled with Jacob that night. Please catch that. It's so important. Secondly, it's interesting to me that in the text that it's not Jacob that initiates this little WWE match with the Lord himself. Okay, the text is clear. It is God that initiates the wrestling with Jacob. God came to that place on that day with the express purpose of wrestling with his servant, Jacob. Okay, it could be that, you know, Jacob, who has spent his whole life finagling and foisting and scheming and working out his little plans and all that kind of stuff, in the case of his brother and his father and his father-in-law and everybody, he was used to winning when he tricked. Yeah, you can see that all through the story of Jacob. When he played the game, he won the game. When he, when he manipulated, he came out on top. And so I think maybe, just maybe, that the Lord using Jacob to, to fulfill his purposes and promises realizes that he had to show Jacob a little lesson here. But God shows up and initiates a wrestling match. The last thing I want you to catch from the text, though, and maybe the most important thing is, is and we misread the text if we miss this, is that the match wasn't even close. Okay, please catch that. The wrestling match wasn't like, you know, it was always oh, neck and neck. You know, the Sportsnet broadcasters were like, and Jacob's got him, and oh, God's got him, and Jacob's got him. It wasn't even close, right? In the text, we see clearly that God, at the appropriate time, went, and touched his hip, and it was over. Right? It was all over, one touch. Now, God could have touched his, you know, between the C5 and C6 vertebrae, and Jacob wouldn't have limped. He wouldn't have walked. God could have touched him on the brainstem, and he wouldn't have thought. He could have done whatever he wanted to. So please catch this. It wasn't like it was a battle of equals that was going on. Jacob wrestled with the Lord, and the Lord allowed it. The Lord initiated it, but it wasn't like it was a even match, right? It was something that God did with grace towards Jacob. Please let that settle in. When Jacob realized that it was God who had him in the headlock, Jacob could have very easily have tapped out and said, Lord, I'm, I, I'm no match to you. I submit. I surrender. What is it that you would have of me, Lord? Right? But instead, he continues to wrestle through the night. Jacob could have said, Lord, I can't, I can't win this, but because of your goodness, I don't have to win this. All I have to do is surrender. And yet Jacob wrestled through the whole night, it says. Remember when Isaiah saw the Lord clearly? Remember his reaction? Surrender. Remember when Job realized who God was? What was his reaction? Surrender. That's what God's after here with Jacob. It's what he's after with us as his followers today. And yet the scriptures are full of examples of people who don't get that. Okay? You might think of Jonah. You might think of Jacob here in this text, and maybe you might think of yourself at some points, and if you knew my story, you'd think of me as well. The, the point is that God wants Jacob to come to the place where he surrenders. 
So what do you think would have happened that night if when God showed up and the wrestling match began, what do you think would happen if Jacob, instead of thinking he had to wrestle a blessing out of God, because remember the text, I will not let you go until you bless me, was his attitude. What do you think would have happened if Jacob had simply said, God, I surrender, would you bless me? Let that settle in for a second. What if Jacob had just tapped out and said, God, you are God, you are good, you are gracious, you are all-powerful, you can do whatever you want, and you are always good, would you bless me? I think Jacob may not have limped away from that day. I think Jacob may have walked away from that day. The God I know would have blessed him if he had only asked for it with a submitted heart and a surrendered will. And yet, here's the grace of God. God blesses him anyway. Right? Even though Jacob is this guy who figures he has to wrestle somehow with the Holy of Holies, God in his goodness says, you know what, Jacob, i got to use you. You're part of my plan. I'm going to use you. It's the plan I've set into motion, and so I'm going to bless you, even though you just don't quite get it. Right? If Jacob had surrendered, like the blessing of him that day, even after he didn't surrender, was he gets a name change. The name becomes Israel which literally translates struggles with God. I'm not sure I would put that on my door. As a disciple of Christ, eh, what are you known by? Oh, I'm Darren who won't give in to God. Right? I, I would love it if the name on my door said batach, which means the concept of surrenders and trusts in the Lord. That'd be a good name change. I'd like that one. Or maybe, maybe call me Jaira. I believe God will provide. I surrender to his provision. But, but the name that Jacob gets that night fits. Likely my name change wouldn't have been much better, and so I won't go further with that. But I love the fact that God's goodness carries through this. If I were God that night, I would have said, we're going to start a new plan with someone else. Right? Jacob, you're just not getting it. Right? You're just not surrendering to me, and I can't use you anymore. And yet what happens? God loves the heart in Jacob in some place that he so desperately wanted to be blessed by God that he was willing to wrestle for it. And somehow God finds that to be something he can redeem and and he blesses him anyway. And that's the nature of God. Spurgeon said it like this. It's not a curious thing that whenever God means to make a man great, he always first breaks him in pieces. There was a man called Jacob whom the Lord designed to make into a prince. How did he do it? He met him one night and wrestled with him. You always hear about Jacob's wrestling. Well, I dare say he did, but it was not Jacob who was the principal wrestler. There wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. God touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and put it out of joint before he called him Israel, that is, a prince of God. The wrestling was to take all his strength out of him. And when his strength was gone, then God called him a prince. Have you ever noticed, even in our own lives, that whenever God is going to give you an enlargement and bring you out to a larger sphere of service or a higher platform of spiritual life, you always get thrown down? This is the usual way of working. He makes you hungry before he feeds you. He strips you before he robes you. So true. So what are the applications we can take from this? What are the things that we need to walk away with? Let me give you a first few questions, and then you can wrestle with this on your own. But the first question I would ask you this morning is, do you want the blessing of God? Okay, I meet so many people who are actually not even hungry for it, right? Do you want the blessing of God? Would you be willing to wrestle with God? Do you want it that badly? Do you want the, 
blessing of God. The scriptures are very clear that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking whom he might show himself powerful to, and I would argue seeking whom he might pour out his blessing upon. Do you want the blessings of God? Secondly, if in fact you do want to be blessed by God, do you think this morning that you need to wrestle it out of him? Like, look deep into your heart. Do you believe on some level that God is only going to bless you if you pressure him into it? Is that what you think? Deep down inside, do you think that if you really, really press him for it, that he might be willing to dole out a pinch of blessing to you? Just a little, like he's not got lots to spare. Is that what you think this morning? Let me tell you that he longs to bless you. And you don't have to talk him into it. You don't have to force his hand. You don't have to somehow manipulate the blessing out of him. And last question is this. Are you willing this morning to trust him and his word on this matter? Like, not my words, not what I've said, not what some other preacher has said. Are you willing to trust by faith and put your full hope in the fact that God longs to bless his people? Okay, let me just clarify too. I'm not talking about some shallow blessing like cars and money and houses. That's not what I'm saying. Every time God pours out a God-sized blessing on his people, it overflows to be the blessing of those around them. Catch that. God blessed Jacob so the nations would be blessed. If you want the blessing of God, it's not a selfish thing. It's so that it would be poured into you and then spill over onto all those around you whatever that looks like for you, and he knows what it looks like for you. Jacob was blessed with a land and with a people, but most of all so that the Savior of the world would come through him to bring salvation to all who would receive. Can you this morning dare to trust that God wants to pour out a blessing made specifically for you and bigger than you can keep to yourself? Do you believe for that this morning? a blessing that you cannot contain. So those are the questions. I mentioned the beginning of the message this morning. I wanted to talk about two people, so real quickly let me just touch on the second. We've talked about the historical Jacob. The second is the character known from the, the parable of the prodigal son. If you read the story from Genesis, you'll read, unfortunately, that Jacob does go on to become the blessing that God promised he would be. But in the very verses that follow what I've read you this morning, Jacob goes on and continues to be the schemer and the manipulator and the deceiver that he was before. Unfortunately, Jacob isn't fully transformed from the encounter, but God's blessing is poured out on him regardless. But the other guy, the story of the prodigal has a bunch of parallels. And again, I won't unpack it all this morning, but read it. You'll see so many nuanced things of both stories that line up together. And I wonder if when Jesus told the story of the prodigal, if maybe he was reminiscing a little bit about the night he wrestled with Jacob. I wonder if he was thinking back to that night and thinking about what was going on in Jacob's heart. And so he tells another story. He tells a story of a son who believed that he needed to go out on his own to get a blessing for himself because his father wasn't giving him all that he, he should. Right? You know the story of the, of the prodigal. Right? He's going to go get what he's going to get. He's going to be a bit like Jacob and go make a blessing for himself because he doesn't trust his father's blessing on him. And he goes off and he does that. And he realizes his mistake and he returns home. And, and he rehearses this little manipulative speech. If you go back and read the story, 
He's going to go to his father. He's going to confess. He's going to say, I'm wrong. I've blown it. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And take me back as a slave. Right? Remember the story. And as he's coming home, the father doesn't even let him get all the way down the laneway. The father runs to him, which Jewish fathers didn't do that. Runs to him, lets him say the first part of his speech, which needed to be said, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That had to be said. But then Jesus in his story tells us that the father doesn't let him do the manipulative part. He simply takes him and he blesses him and he loves him and he gives him all of the blessings that are his as a son. He robes him, sandals, the ring, the whole thing. And he brings him into the fullness of what it means to be blessed by his father. Jesus tells the story of somebody who just is willing to lay it all down to receive the blessing. And if you read the story, it doesn't end with a man limping away. It ends with somebody who just receives all that God wants to give him. That's the way God wants us to receive his extravagant love. But let me say this as I close this morning and just before we pray. All of this is accessed through a door that is at the foot of the cross. Okay? The, the, the blessings of God, the promises of God, the faithfulness of God all flows to us because he died for us. The Jesus who came down and wrestled with Jacob is the Jesus who came down and died on the cross. He died for you. He died for me. He died for those who would manipulate and trick and scheme and angled. He died for those of us who struggle with trust. He died for those of us who think somehow we have to manipulate the world around us. He died for us. But more than that, he rose for us. He rose from the dead. And the scripture says he lives to make intercession for us. So right now, in this place, this morning, the Lord of the universe sits ready to receive you. And if he has received you, he's making intercession for you this morning, saying, Father, I want to pour out a blessing on my child. I want to pour out a blessing that they cannot contain so the world around them would be blessed because of you. Not because we forced him. He didn't do this because we manipulated it. He did it because he so loves the world. And disciples trust in that. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your character and that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. And Lord, as we come to you with our weakness and with our brokenness, as we come to you even with our limps this morning, would you reveal to us your goodness? Would you pour it a blessing on each person in this room and hearing this message? Would you pour it a blessing on your church around the world? so that it would not only fill our lives, but it would spill over and bless the lives of all those around us, so that people would know who you are, and they would know how you act. We pray all this together in Jesus' name.